It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Good evening, good morning, who knows what time of day you're listening to this. This is it, this is the Chelsea. Well, that's been a weird week of football. Goals galore everywhere, defences shipping goals left, right and centre, and we kept a clean sheet. Suddenly, we have the best defence in the league. We just can't feel so bad now. And this feels like a week that we started to move forwards. As usual, I'm joined by Mr. Andy Saunders, a man in perpetual motion who only believes in more moving forwards. How are you, Andy? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right, actually, yes. Um, the sun is shining for the first time in some time where I live, and that makes me happy. Mm. Yeah, as, do, nice. as do clean sheets, which we will get to later. But uh, your week been okay? You've been busy? Yeah. Pretty busy, pretty busy. Yeah, you know, I've got my my TV series coming out now. I've got a date for my TV series, which is Ooh. quite nice. Ooh. So you can you can watch Icon Music Through the Lens, which is a definitive history and journey through uh, music photography uh, on Sky Arts uh, in the UK uh, on November sixth. So, which is great. Start six part series. Uh, first episode November the sixth at nine pm Friday night. Good slot. Oh, wow. Excellent. That sounds as though it's going to be quite an event for you, isn't it? Because this so, has been... Yeah. How long have you been working on this? Ten years. Ten years. Ten it's, years. People do not understand, especially with documentary, the amount of years it goes into making something. Just, just from the initial idea, which is brilliant, and then it's all the hard work and the steps in between, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I say 10 years we've been working on it. We had the idea 10 years ago and we've been developing, well, we developed it for a further sort of eight years and then we've actually been making it for the last two years. And it started off as a film and it became a six-part TV series. And, yeah, I'm very, very proud of it. It's amazing. Um, if you uh, follow me on social media, I'll be posting up some trailers and some teasers and... Uh, if you go to iconmusicthroughlens.com, uh, you can see a website. It's all there. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's been very exciting. But now we're in that, you know, hell for leather promotional dash before the uh, November the 6th transmission date. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was my point, is that the, the actual idea for things is not the hardest part. The hardest part is realising the good idea. And, yeah. and, uh, well, it and doesn't... raising the money to do it as well. Exactly. It's not, it's not a cheap exercise, so... No, it's not. But you've did it, Andy. And are you happy? Are you pleased? Are you delighted? I've I've been lucky enough to see some of this series, and it is actually fantastic. Thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. Um, I think it's uh, it's an amazing piece of work. It's directed by a guy called Dick Carruthers, who, if you've ever seen a sort of big concert film, Beyonce at the O2, or the Led Zeppelin Reformation gigs, or Mumford and Sons, or Oasis, he, he's probably the guy that shot it. He does the big concert films. He's an amazing uh, director. He's made a couple of Oasis films. Uh, he's done he's done some other stuff as well. He's a he's a really really creative director uh he directed it and then our my fellow executive producer is gerard mankiewicz who's a very very famous photographer who shot those classic Jimi hendrix photos in the military jacket he shot the rolling stones on primrose hill he's he's a you know he's a guy in his, his 70s now but he he's a legendary photographer so really really good team uh, around it and we, i think we interviewed probably every significant photographer over the last 50 years so you know that's still alive and and so we're we're very happy about that and sadly one of the real legends a guy called baron mormon uh, died last night so unfortunately some of these these older guys that we're we're documenting of uh, are departing us so this is going to be actually i think quite a valuable document yeah, absolutely. And, and I also, I think it puts into context the importance of photography. We, we take for granted these iconic images, you know. I mean, I, I think iconic image of something growing up for me would be the cover of London Calling by The Clash. Yeah. You know, we all have these things that we, oh, yeah, that's so, you know it immediately. It touches mm. you straight away. So I, th- I think more people will sort of discover their own feelings um, through this series than anything else and go, oh, my God, yes, I know. Because also there's stories behind the images, aren't there, a lot of the time? Stories are amazing, and, and it's, a, it's a very nostalgic trip for a lot of people. Any, any, anybody that's put a, a, a picture of an artist or a band on their bedroom wall will this will resonate with or who used to read The Enemy or Melody Maker or, you know, who who loves looking at album covers. All that's in there. And, and as you say, the, the stories are amazing and some of the photographers are more rock and roll than the band. So it's, uh, it's a great thing. It's called Icon Music Through the Lens. As I say, it'll be on Sky Arts on November the 6th. Fantastic. Well, there you go. That's a plug for you. And we'll do it every week. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just, on, on the music tip, I just want to let people know one other thing, because I got quite a lot of feedback when I talked about the band Salt, um, when they released a, a double album, all oh, about 
eight weeks ago? Well, they've just released another double album, which is equally as good. So uh, go check it out. If you enjoyed that first one, it's well worth doing. So, Andy, we should just get on with with football talk now. Um, Mm. We decided to do this today because it was transfer deadline day yesterday. And really... I mean, we were uh, we were home and hosed. It was just about how many players would go out, and I have to say, I was a little surprised we didn't get more movement out of the club. You know, we got Bakayoko going to Napoli, and then the last deal of the night was completed at half twelve, which was Ruben going to Fulham on loan. Mm-hmm. Um, were you surprised at how little movement out of the club was? And do you think ultimately? This might cause a little bit of a problem for Frank, having to have really quite a large squad and probably larger than he was hoping for. Yeah, possibly. I think I think that's a, that's that's a fair comment. Uh, the focus has very much been on incoming players. That's where the energy's been spent this season. I mean, you can't argue the fact that we've had an incredible window. We've mentioned that on previous pods. Uh, the players that we've brought in are, are going to be transformational for our team, I think. Um, they need time to bed in. They need time to, to adapt to a system, and to adapt to a new country, some of them. Um, and it's going to be amazing. And the problem we have with some of these players that we have been trying to send out either on loan or to sell, is they're expensive. So someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, you know, even though he's somewhat surplus to requirements at the moment, I mean, I read somewhere that he's on £175,000 a week. Now, you know, if you're going to send him out on loan to uh, to another club, probably a club that's a lesser level than you are, that's an awful lot of money. So there's a lot of wrangling to be done on who pays the wages, what percentage they pay, is there a loan fee? That's the same for Rudiger. It's the same for you know some of these other key players that, that just haven't managed to force their way into Frank's thinking. So I think the, the economics have played a real factor in this rather than the focus... Uh, because we're not in a situation where teams around the world can afford huge things. We're, we're an anomaly. You know, we seem to have uh, enough money from uh, saved up from transfer bans and from player sales that we can go out and compete aggressively in the transfer market. That's not the same for particularly a lot of the mainland European clubs. Yeah, I, I think that you, you really hit on the, the expense of loaning a player. It's almost, for certain clubs, it's almost as much as buying a player. You know, they, they end up, as you it's say... It's always the wages. It's the yeah. wages that, that are expensive. Anybody that plays for Chelsea and has played for Chelsea uh, at a Premier League level and has been a, you know, a consistent part of a squad is going to be on very, very high wages. And if you're going to then go down to a lower Premiership club, and in some cases a Championship club, um, probably not a Championship club with some of these elite players, Players, but certainly a lower Premier League club. That that's a huge amount of money at a time when there is, you know, massive financial uncertainty. Yeah, and and I guess that there's two types of loan as well. There's there's the loan of players that actually you know are never going to come back and play for Chelsea, and there are the loans Victor where. Moses. Yep, exactly. Bakayoko. Um, yeah. You know, that. Um, in fact, did Victor Moses go to another club this weekend or not? I don't think he did. I think no, he I th- kind of fell through the cracks and he's, you know, stuck in limbo again. Yeah, uh, and I kind of feel so sorry for him because he was such a spectacular part of that year, you know, and, and it, it is such a shame because he... I mean, who, for example, is going to take Danny Drinkwater on the wages that he's on? You know, he's on stupid wages... 
He's played, you know, five minutes of Premier League football. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but but not much Premier League yep. football. He's been on a couple of loans to Burnley and Villa, which were both disasters by all account. Who's going to take him? I mean, he's literally just sitting there seeing out his contract, which, you know, we've said before, I, I guess we can't blame him for that. If we were dumb enough to give him a contract, you know, he's clever enough to sit there and, and turn up for training and collect the money. I mean, it kind of screws his career moving forward. But, but you know, we, you can't ship a player like that out because, you know, where's the value? Yeah, and, and, and you're right. We've got a whole group of players in limbo by the looks of it. Um, I'd, I'd forgotten about him because, of course, he was out and now he's back. And, yeah, who knows what will happen. And and I also wonder, does what does Frank do? Because I presume they don't train with the first-team squad. Um, so they either train with the juniors or out on their own. I don't quite know how that works for the the ghost players, as, as I call them. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. I mean, you know, football's a, uh, football is commerce. You know, for a lot of these players, it's, it, well, for all of these players, it's their job and their way of feeding their families and providing for their families. And, and, and they don't separate commerce and sport you know a lot of them so if their argument would be i've worked really hard to get this contract you know to get this ludicrous contract you know you thought i was good enough to give it to me um i'm certainly not going to walk away from it so you either find me a solution a club that's going to pay these wages um or i'll happily just turn up and, and and kick a football around in training until you until my contract runs down and then i'll think about what else to do uh, th- that's the way it works. It's frustrating, I and mean, when we had we we've had it ever since you know Winston Bahada. We've we've had this situation with players that that we've signed haven't worked, but you know we've got them for five years, and there's nothing we can do. Yeah, and and I I do feel in some ways slightly sorry for the players, but I don't I don't resent them for not going on because I think you're absolutely right. It's a small career, short career, so you take your money and and that's it. You. <laughs> You'd be the same in the inverted commas real world with a job. You know, that that's just how it is. It just must mentally, even though you're fine financially, mentally it must be a strange place to be knowing that you're not even going to be looked at for this week or the week after or the week after that. So they do end up in this, <clears throat> you know, limbo land where they're kind of non-players. Um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, the, the I mean good- Danny Drinkwater signed for us in 2017. Presumably on a five-year contract for 35 million quid. He's got two years left. He's 30 years old. So by the time he leaves us, he'll be 32 on the cusp of 33. I mean, that's basically his career done. You know, he, he can go and play, I guess, for a, a lower league club. You know, he can go and do you know, what some of these veteran players do, get a, get a, maybe get a little bit of a payday. But this is it, really. You know, he's, he's not going anywhere from here. So when he looks back in his dotage at his football career, it will be, I sat for five years you know, and, and collected my money. Now, you know, I, I guess then he'll be sitting in a big house and going, ask me if I care. But but there must be an element of him thinking, I'd won the Premier League with Leicester. You know, I'd come, I was, I was at the prime of my career when I signed for Chelsea. And I just didn't make the most of it. You know, even when I went out on loan, I didn't make the most of it. I basically failed as a professional footballer. Now, whether he can he can you know square that with the money that he's getting and square that with how he's provided with his family, I don't know. But it must be an interesting dilemma for him. Yeah, and also he had injuries as well at the start. He really it was a classic case. Player comes, player not fit, player never gets sorted 
everything just unravels. And whether it's a, a mental issue, whether actually the injuries he had are actually far more serious than we will ever find out about i've no idea but um it, it, it is a strange thing but the, but there are positives like i'm so happy that ruben is going to play a season of football as long as he stays fit because the one thing is going to fulham he will play every week i would have thought wouldn't you if he's fit you know <laughs> and that's the problem with with you know with, with ruben loftus cheek is that he, he he you do wonder whether he has chronic long-term injury issues um, so yes, you're you're absolutely right in terms of talent and ability and uh, being able to to influence and impact a, a you know a Fulham team that may struggle this year. Um, I, I think absolutely he'll play every week, and in theory, it's a really good loan if he stays fit. And that you've always got to apply that caveat to him. Yeah, exactly. But that that's my point. Yeah. We don't need to find out on our time. If he collapses in a game or he isn't right this week and he's out for three weeks, he'll be elsewhere. So he'll be impacting their first team squad, not ours this season. And also we find out if when he comes back, he's the right person for us. I I Mm. think a lot of things, if he gets more injuries through this season, and I'm talking not major ones, but those ones that niggle in you, you hear, you think a few years ago, he's getting little strains, little pools and things oh it'd be out for two weeks and it would end up being six or seven weeks um so we need to find out whether these perpetual inverted commas again minor injuries uh, are still happening and coming to the forefront whether he's actually built his body up right to to handle all these sort of moments of stress in a, in a footballer's career or not so yeah. it's, he's it's 25 he's 25 in january yeah so he'll be coming back to us when he's 25 i mean that really should be his peak He's not a kid anymore. He's not a development player anymore. You know, we say that about these players. We've, we've watched Ruben Loftus-Cheek since he was 17 year, years old, you know, trying to, to break into the team on a regular basis. He has been plagued by injuries. Can't blame him for that. He has gone out on loan and done interesting things at, at Crystal Palace, for example. Um, and, and, when, and if and when he comes back, presumably next summer, he'll either be you know, ready to go and and battle-hardened and can force his way into uh, a Chelsea midfield, which by then should be fairly well-established with some world-class players, or he'll be cooked uh, and we'll have to let him go. And, and he won't end up at an elite club. You know, he'll end up at, you know, the tier below. And, and that would be a tragedy for somebody with so much promise. I mean, I don't want to be overly negative about it, but the signs I've seen for a 25-year-old to have played this little football at this level because of injury concerns me yeah and i that's why i think this is his biggest season for chelsea if you know what i mean even though he's not going to play for us this is the moment where i think we'll find out more about him because i think you're right he can't come back and get be a bit part player he either comes back and be is is fit he's healthy he's playing well and he's a member of the first team squad or he won't be, and it'll be done. So we will find out if he'll be a, a Chelsea footballer by the end of this season. That's what, that's what I think. Yeah, this yeah. is his chance to, it is. to stay. It is. There's no more chances after this. No, no. Um, and I guess the other person that has gone out on loan with something to prove um, is probably uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, is uh, Ross Barkley. Yeah, Ross is a really interesting one, isn't he? Because he performed very well at the weekend against Liverpool in that ridiculous game. 
um, where you know Aston Villa smashed the, the the champions, and he played a, a major part in it. I mean, we spoke, we've spoken at length about Ross. I don't want to go over too much old ground about Ross, but I feel with him, you know, I, I I think it's a good move for him. I I don't think he has a long term future at Chelsea Football Club. I don't think he's good enough. I genuinely don't think he has enough of an elite football brain tactically. Um, to do so, I think he has flair. I think he has ability. I think he has the ability to to impact games. I think he has uh, the the ability to make things happen. But I think that's outweighed by his, you know, as as was mentioned last week, his inefficiency with the ball and his maddening inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, again, I if he has the most wonderful season. Maybe he will come back. We will see. Maybe You've always this... got to leave that door open. You've of always, course. You, you're right. You're absolutely right. You've got to leave that door open. If he goes away to Aston Villa, finds his mojo, you know, smashes in goals, creates assists, becomes a pivotal player and gets that team to a mid-table position by sheer force of his ability and will, of course, we'd be mad not to look at him. My, my suspicion is, and it's only a suspicion, is that this is his level. Yeah, I, I think you could well be right. But, again... Let's see what happens. He's he's got off to as an Evertonian. He's got off to a flyer for Villa against Liverpool. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm pleased I, with him. I'm, I'm pleased for the fact that he's doing well. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm delighted for him, and I'm delighted. You know, I would like to be delighted for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. These are players that you know I, I bear no ill will to. You know, I hope they do well. I'm genuinely delighted that he had a great game. I, I, I really hope that both of them come back world class players. Just have this niggling doubt they won't. Yeah, but the the point is, they're the type of loans that we send them out to find out about them. Other loans, it's to get rid of. So, yeah, let's see. But were you surprised that uh, none of our central defenders went out? I mean, I presume you can still loan to the lower leagues, but um, I can't see that any of them would want to go there. I mean, so we, we are now stuck with a huge squad really I think I've counted it it's like 26 or 28 players yeah it's, it is what it is isn't it I yeah. mean I'm not going to get hung up on on huge squads again it's a bit like transfer fees I don't care you know more players the better it's not something I'm going to concern myself with it's just it is what it is you've got a load of players you've got a load of players I mean that's up to, to Frank and the, and the management team to, to manage that that's not my focus whether we've got a huge squad I, I am a little bit surprised that you know that Rudiger you know, uh, hasn't hasn't made a move. I mean, Tamori said he wanted to stay, didn't want to go, wanted to fight for his place, and that's fair enough. He's a young player that Frank Lampard knows well and has probably told him that he is part of his plans. The Rudy the Rudiger thing is interesting. The Kepper thing is interesting. Um, but you know, we know why that is. That's that's down to money. You know, simple yeah. as that. Yeah, I I agree with you. No, I'm, I'm just talking about having a big squad means there are going to be a cluster of players who are going to be unhappy potentially most weeks, which which becomes difficult. Let, let's face yeah, they it, they can be unhappy all the way to the bank, mate. It's you know, yeah, that, that, that's the issue. Yeah, I perhaps. I, I know but... what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. I know what you're saying about about tension and all that kind of stuff. But you know that that's part of managing an elite football club, isn't it? That you're going to have those tensions with players that that don't play. I mean, I'm, and I'm, you know, it, maybe some of those players will will get their opportunity and take it. And the fact of the matter is, they did those deals. They did those contracts. They're not prepared, presumably, to take a pay cut. Um, and so, therefore, that, that's what you throw back at them. Well, you can't be unhappy. We offered you a loan deal. We offered you the opportunity to go somewhere you didn't take it because they couldn't play your wages so you know you enjoy your money and turn up to training and you know if there's an opportunity in in a minor cup or a friendly then we'll play you yeah well well we'll see how they pan out um but yeah 
it's it's a it was an in, it was nice actually yesterday because I wasn't worried. I, I I couldn't subscribe to any of that nonsense about oh Chelsea might spring a surprise last minute. No, we we were we were done. We we were home and hose before anybody this this summer. Um, and as you say, we've had a fantastic fantastic transfer window and I think we've utilised it incredibly well and it was just about loans for me Um, and at least we got Ruben out we got you know Ross out and Bakayoko bless him I saw a photo of him training on sort of like Friday or something with his with the team and it, it's just sort of so weird thinking that he's still a Chelsea player and off he goes for his ninth club or whatever since we've signed him but yeah. um, well that's the, so, that's the life of a professional footballer how old do you think Ross Barkley is uh 27 he'll be 27 in in December yeah you right. know so so by the time we get him back he'll probably be 28 you know he's not a kid people still think he's a kid they no. still think he's a development player. He's not, you know, and people need to, you know, to, to really think about where these, the, the career trajectory that these players have been on. And he's not, you know, so I just think that players at this age, they really should have been, they really should have been cementing their places by now. Yeah, the, again, go. the problem with him, bad, bad injuries, you know, but nobody still would carry, touch him. Yeah. Still, you know, he had opportunities to come in and, and, and cement a place and, and, and didn't. No, I, I look. I agree. I, I think, but what I'm saying is, perhaps he is not the player that we hoped he was going to be because injuries have affected his movement. You know, there's all sorts of things that you find out. You know, later on in life, um, I agree with you. I don't think he's taken his opportunity because perhaps he wasn't able to take his opportunity. Well, Not in some way like Chelsea. That. The, the yeah. pressure of playing for a team like Chelsea is so different to, say, playing, no disrespect, but playing for Aston Villa. Mm. There he's a big fish in a smaller pond. Here, you know, not being funny, he was a bit more of a tiddler at Chelsea. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's got to affect you mentally. And that's also some of these players don't know about that mental side of themselves mm. until they're faced with, oh, my God, he's so-and-so, he's so-and-so. You, you just don't know. You, yeah. They can be overawed, I would have thought, some of them. And that's also part of the process of finding out who you've bought. So, Well, I mean, the other, the other sort of issue this throws up is, is when you talk about injuries, it's Christian Pulisic about whether he's, you know, he's going to be somebody that suffers really badly from injuries on a on a consistent basis. We'll have to see. I mean, he's coming back now, um, you know, and we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But I have concerns when players pick up these kind of regular niggling hamstring leg injuries, whether whether this is going to be a factor of their time at a football club. But you know, maybe that's me just being overly pessimistic. Well, no, it's quite right too, because he's had a few. He's only been with us a year and he has had a few. And the worst thing is that one in the cup final that was all down to his explosive pace. Mm. That is an exceptional part of his game. So that concerns me that maybe he won't be able to do that because it may just twang again. You know, once you've got a hamstring problem, um, it can, it can, it can stay with you. So well, that's my point. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I'm totally with you. So yeah, I, I think he's got everything on the table, but we just have to keep him off the treatment table. Oh, very. <laughs> hey, good. see what I did there. Excellent. Right. Okay. Well, we had a little bit of a cup game this week. It was a a strange old affair because it it had especially you know 
at this stage of the season. It just felt a bit like a pre-season friendly in certain ways. Um, were you surprised at the team? I mean, we got to see Edward Mendy. Um, were you surprised at the team he picked, or did you go, well, OK, that's, that's interesting? No, I thought it was I, I thought it was okay. Um as you say, Mendy was in there. We saw Tamore again. You know, Tamore and Zuma was an interesting pairing, I thought. Uh Chilwell was in the team. Uh apart from that, Giroud up front, uh, yeah, I think I looked at it and thought that's a perfectly fine team for this for this game, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. And and I thought it was one of those things, it was obvious that he decided to just take silver out rather than give him game time, just give him a little bit of a, a rest and a relax, which mm. which I was quite happy about because actually, as we'll talk later, I think he came back in against Palace and had a, a great game, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I there's something about that whole process of picking teams for cup games at the moment. As you would say, it's, it's a bit of a joke cup at the moment in a kind of a way because it's neither one thing nor another, especially at this point of the season. Everyone is trying to get fit. Uh, it's not working so well. So I'm not surprised it ended up going out going out on penalties. Oh, who's that? That was me. Sorry, I set an alarm for something, but I can't remember what for. Apologies for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, look, the thing about the, the Carabao Cup is I like it. You know, I, I like the Cup because it gives an opportunity to bring young players through. We see players that, you know, that we don't do. It's a midweek game. Unfortunately, it just came at the completely the wrong time for us. You know, a bit like the Liverpool game, completely the wrong time for us. As players are bedding in, players are coming back from injury. Uh, you know, we've said time and time again, our season really doesn't start until after this weekend's international break. I think that's when you can properly, properly judge the team when players come back from injury. Th- this was just way too early. Uh, you know, that's not to say we shouldn't have beaten um, a, a, a team uh, like Tottenham that had such a massive fixture pile-up uh, and their own injury issues. So, you know, it was a pretty dispiriting um, game in a lot of ways, but you know, one one that I think you can easily forget almost immediately. Yeah, and it the the only way I can look at it is that it was more of an exercise. You know, the most important exercise was to find out if possibly Edward Mendy is okay as a keeper. And actually, I I thought he had a pretty decent game. The one time he went for a cross and he realised he wouldn't get it, get there, he stopped and backpedalled towards the goal. Whereas we've seen with other keepers, they keep on going and it just looks embarrassing. So it's... <sighs> It looked, from what little he had to do, it looked as though he was thoughtful. He looked as though he had a, a decent pair of hands. And he would, he would catch the ball every now and then as well. So we, we didn't learn too much about him. And we didn't learn too much about him against Palace. But people, you know, whether that's just me reading something into it. But the defence felt a bit more relaxed. And even more so in the Palace game. But it did feel as though... They had a bit more trust in Mendy immediately. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was fine. I mean, I don't think you can yeah. judge the guy too no. much on, on that game. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's nice to see him. Let, let's give him 10 games and have a, have a chat about what he's like after that, to be honest. Yeah, that's all you can do because, yeah. you know, I mean, that that was the other thing you'd say. You know, neither Tottenham nor Palace reined in shots on goal. So... That that was a that was a, a good good way to go. But yeah, it was great to see Timo score. Uh, you know his, his first goal. You know, really well taken goal. I, th- 
thought, look, I mean, we controlled that first half beyond belief, but we just couldn't make it count. And I think that's a, an indication of a team that aren't quite clicking uh, in the final third. And that will come. That will definitely come. It certainly came, I thought, in, in the game at the weekend. So I just think that it's uh, oh, it, was a, it was a game to get through. And the fact that we went out on penalties, that's a you know massive lottery to coin a cliche, uh, it is, is neither here nor there. I'd literally forgotten it the next day. You know, we move on. Yeah, exactly. And penalties, as you say, is a lottery. I kind of felt, I kind of really felt for Mason Mount and his his penalty. Yeah, you always feel for the person that misses it, though. But somebody's got to miss it, otherwise we'd still be there, wouldn't we? So. Yeah, I, I actually th- think mark of respect to Eric Dyer because while everyone went mad, he raced over to Mason Mount and gave him a great big hug. I don't know if you saw that. And I just mm. thought that was quite a nice thing to do. So, mm. you know, especially after his toilet break. Yeah, yeah, he had a good game on Eric <laughs> Dyer, to be honest. Um, I mean, Chelsea have lost six of their last eight League Cup penalty shootouts. You know, which is which is interesting. You know, we've obviously won some very very key penalty shoots out shoots outs in recent years, but you know, we're, we're not. I never feel confident when we go into them, to be honest. <laughs> well, you texted really me don't. going, "Oh no, we're going to lose on pens," and that yeah. was you know halfway through the second half, and yeah. so it proved to be prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Just uh, had that sort of feel of inevitability about it, really. And, you know, I never, I never, I wasn't shouting at the telly and throwing things at the telly. It was just a bit of a meh, you know, a bit of a meh game and, and uh, you know, and a performance that we probably should have put to bed in the 90 minutes and, and we didn't and somebody had to lose the penalty shootout and unfortunately it was us. It was just one of those games. Yeah, uh, I, and Frank had a few words with Jose on the on the, uh, on the the touchline. <laughs> good to see, always good to see Frank sticking up for himself. Yeah, and, you know, Jose came back at him, so they had a little bit of a ding-dong, and then it was fine afterwards. It it was it was great behaviour, because, you know, I mean, like, Frank could probably just say to him, I learnt everything from you, mate. <laughs> so, so, yes, he was he was uh, entertaining on... He's certainly no shrinking violet. No, you know, um, Mourinho, he's faced Lampard four times without winning in his managerial career. That's twice as many as any other manager without registering at least one win. And Frank will always say, didn't beat me in the 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Well, it's that time where we better go to a commercial break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. Okay, so it was Palace at the weekend. Um, did we have a bit of trepidation about this one? Because they are a funny side with us. So they can be a bit of a bogey side for us, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, lots of trepidation going into this game because we've tripped up against them on so many occasions in recent years. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, I, I hate that game 
at the best of times. Um, and especially, you know, I, I was expecting Palace to wear our, our third kit, actually, but they didn't. They had the, the, the white thing. But um, I hate that kit. Oh, it's just so, well, it just looks like it's a Palace kit. It's ludicrous. Yeah, I hate it is. It. It's, it is. What, what were they thinking? Anyway, we can get hung up on that. But, you know. <laughs> Let's get hung up on our kits. But uh, yeah, I think you're you're right. It's horrible. But um, so yes, the team. Now this this had a feel when you saw the team sheet. You had a feel of ah, Frank is starting to get to what he may be looking for as a starting eleven, um, especially with the defence. How did you view it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the defence certainly looked interesting. It was interesting that he played as Pelicueta instead of Rhys James. Um, but Zuma and, and, and Thiago Silva in the middle, I, you know, worked really well. But when I saw it, I thought, as I said last week, that that might lack a little bit of pace. But it didn't. It was very good. Uh, Chilwell was brilliant in the game, you know, So and, and, and Mendy as well. So you're right, it, it looks like that's... That's kind of where he's getting to. He needs to decide on it fairly soon. Um, and hopefully he's starting to think about it. I'm, I'm interested in the Reese James thing. I wonder if he's thinking what we're thinking, which is Reese just isn't as effective in a four as he is in a three. Um, and that Aspilicueta is a lot more solid. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Reese over, over coming weeks. I'm not saying that Reese is going to be left out in the cold. I'm sure he'll play a lot of football. But, it, it, I mean, I don't think it's hard to to argue that it was much better with Aspilicueta there than it was with Reese James because it was a lot more solid. Didn't give us as much going forward, but we looked a lot more solid at the back. Yeah, I, I, I do think that he's gone, you know what, I need to get that experience in there. And it, it felt more assured than than it has done for a long time, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it, look, we weren't overly tested, but, you know, it did have a feel of, OK, this is the way forward. Reese. now you're going to start learning over the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, was, I was pretty pleased with it, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, the midfield, Jorginho in the midfield, it always kind of raises eyebrows, I think, when Jorginho comes into the midfield. Um, but I thought he did very well. Kante and uh, Havertz, you know, alongside him, that that looked like a really solid midfield for me for this particular game. And, you know, we've always said you have to pick Jorginho uh, for particular games, I think. Um, and... This was a good one for him. Uh, I thought Havertz was amazing. I mean, I genuinely thought he was brilliant and just looked like he's going to become a really, really pivotal player for us. Yeah, I, I thought he was. I thought he was great. Um, but I think there's so much more to come from him. And well, that's, that's good, isn't it? That, yeah, no, but, but that's what makes me think because he looks like the kind of player once he's really confident with the whole team and where everyone plays he does look as though he's going to pull the strings in an incredibly interesting way he looks as though he's he's trying to work out little partnerships with various people around the pitch he seems to be getting an intuitive uh, response with Tammy he's obviously got uh, something going with Werner you know he he does look like one of those players he's evolving with each game when he when you think only a matter of a, a few weeks ago, you know, he looked like, yeah, he looks good. Um, he's going to take time, but it's he's he's settling in quite quickly, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's 21 years old and he already has an incredibly mature football brain. His football intelligence is, is 
clear to see. Uh, he's still finding his way through the team. He's still finding his way, presumably through you know a, a new culture and all the other things that new players have to go through when they come from foreign countries. But I, I just think he's he's immense. I think he's going to be immense. So I'm, I'm I, you know I've said it before, I'm nailing my colours to the mast. I think he will be a general generational player for us. I mean, up front we had um, Hudson Odoi making another start, playing well again. Uh, Timo and Abraham, and you know Timo Werner on the left again. Which you know, for me, is feels a little bit of a waste. I mean, I know he played there a lot for Leipzig, and he's a very uh, adaptable player. But I really think we're going to see the best of Timo when he plays down the middle with uh, Zayek and Pulisic either side. I don't think it's going to necessarily happen like that. I th- I think the way it ended up um, at the end of the game may be the way we see it um, in in the fact that you might have. Pulisic, Werner and Havertz with Abraham up front and that may switch to Zayek coming in and then Werner moving up front instead of Abraham but there's so many combinations aren't there because you're right Werner looks comfortable on the left although he looked at I don't know how you felt, but I thought he looked a bit frustrated through the Palace game. Yeah, that's my point really. You know, I just I just think it's a bit of a waste. I think he's he's absolutely devastating in the box. Um, he's got that incredible, you know, turn of pace over really short distances, which Hazard had, where he can get away from players. And I just think if you sort of isolate him out on the left in particular games, and I think it will definitely work in some games, um, it, it's a it's a little bit of a waste. I mean, yes, you're right, of course, that there will be lots of combinations, and we may see the combination that you that you mentioned, you know, more often than not. But I genuinely think when he's got two devastating wide players next to him and he plays down the middle we will see you know an absolute goal machine yeah um it's but tammy's not um again not being a shrinking violet in this he's standing up i don't think tammy got very good service at the weekend um didn't quite well, he, work but he also him. missed an absolute sitter of a header what that one that flashed past the post yeah, he should have scored that. There's no two ways about it. He was on the six-yard box. He I think was in a great position. He should have. No, I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I think if you if you cross a ball in like that and you're in space on the six-yard box and you're a world-class striker, you need to at least hit the target. Mm. And for me, he does it too often. He's yeah. he's. We've mentioned it before. He's not ruthless enough in front of goal. He's learning. This is not a massive, you know, uh, criticism of, of of Tammy as a as a player. I just think that he's a young player and he's learning. I think if Werner had been there, Werner would have buried it. Maybe. Um, <laughs> it's difficult, you know. I agree with you, I, but I did think... I'm not down was... on Tammy. I don't want loads of, you know, emails and, and, and tweets <laughs> and direct messages and, and, you know, people atting me on it. I'm literally not down on Tammy. I think he's got a really strong future at the club. Um, but, you know, you say he didn't get service. That was service. And, yeah. you know, in games like this, you need to take your chances. OK, title for this show is Andy Saunders Hates Tammy Abraham. You know, and then you, you know, then you, you know, you kind of grab the ball for the penalty, and you make a little bit of a fuss about it, which I thought was a little bit unsavoury. Um, and I thought Azpilicueta did extremely well as the captain to to kind of sort that out. Um, you know, and, and then you do feel well if you want to score a goal, Tammy, take your chances. Yeah, I I would agree with you absolutely one hundred percent, Dave. You know that that was actually true leadership. Because he was he was well away from the play when that all happened, and he got a sniff of it and he legged it over there, and it was that I can't remember who it was last season in one of the games for someone else, and there was a big argument about who took the penalty, and he just 
totally got rid of that, even though Tammy was pulled away by him and looking really sulky. I think he sorted it out brilliantly. And then Jorginho uh, scoring again, just, you know, it just gets rid of it. And I, I like the way Frank reacted about it afterwards when he said, it's being dealt with. And, yeah. and that's it. And, and that is what you want. That is where, it, if Dave hadn't been on the pitch... I really fear that could have turned into a really ugly incident. I mean, it was yeah, ugly it was, enough as it is. I thought it was pretty ugly. I mean, people turning around and going, it's great that he wants to grab the ball and score. It's like, no, I think it shows a lack of discipline. And I think that if you've predetermined who the penalty taker is, that, that, that's what the manager wants and that's, what, that's what's been agreed. You don't then change that mid-game because you want to score a goal. I understand a striker's desire to score goals, but if the penalty taker is Jorginho, it's Jorginho. Behave yourself. And I think that, you know, so, so that sort of, made me made me a little bit concerned I would say this I think it demonstrated leadership qualities that perhaps weren't there before because if you remember um, in the League Cup final when Kepa was protesting about being subbed um, and refused to leave the field you know Aspilicueta I thought showed very poor leadership in that situation and and maybe he's learned from that that you know that his job is to is to be the manager's representative on the field which is, which is frankly what a captain should do so you know kudos to him yeah, and, and maybe he's even thought about it even more, having someone who's used to being the captain in Thiago Silva just next to him and just, I've got to show that I'm I'm up for this, you know, and get this right. And I think he did. And the, the, the thing was also, Timo Werner was, at the first, it was, it was a, an argument or a discussion between Werner and Tammy. And and Jorginho was just at the halfway line, just walking up slowly, you know, going, well, I'm the penalty taker. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was not very nice. It was not edifying. Um, but I think it got sorted out in the end. So two we'll... brilliant penalties, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, when they go wrong, like they did in, well, you know, in, in the, you know, in, in, in the game against Liverpool, you know, when he just sort of taps it and Alisson falls on it, it looks awful. You know, it looks embarrassing. But when it goes right. It's uh, it's quite a thing to see, isn't it? Because you, you, the way he that leap that gives him that pause to see where the you know where, where the goalkeeper's going to go, it's it's a thing of beauty when it works. Yeah, because you, you you've got, it. but you you try and do it with a football to to leap on a uh, whether you've got a static ball and then land and then kick it at the same time. It, mm. It's it's unbelievable, and and that. Liverpool miss well that's the only one he's missed for us in 12 I think it is now um so well, yeah he missed he missed in the Man City the game that Man City game that we spoke about in the final penalty shootout penalty shootout yeah okay um I'm just talking in in game time ones but yeah you're right absolutely I forgot about that one um, yeah, but, but I mean apart from that it, it, it looks pretty good doesn't it and people do miss penalties I mean there's very few players in world football that have got 100% penalty record and I think that while he's got the confidence to step up and do that and and it works and it seems to be something that goalkeepers can't premeditate or predetermine i think it's uh, it's definitely worth sticking with him yeah i i would agree with that um the the other person i'd like to give a little bit of a mention to is chilwell i, th- I thought he looked different gravy um he looked as though he's thoughtful about defending um certainly looks good in attack great strike for his goal um again you just see it it already looks like an upgrade on alonso and um anyone else emerson that we've had at left back for some time yeah well he can defend and he's got a brain um when it comes 
to defending. I'm not saying that you know Emerson and Alonso don't have a brain when it comes to coming forward because they're both very effective. Um, but coming back is what is where we needed to fill the gap. And he's very calm on the ball. He's positionally he's very good. He seems to uh, be a player that can take. Uh, strategy and tactics on board, and you know, fulfill fulfill his role uh, extremely well. No doubt about it. I thought he was, you know, had a shout for man of the match. Yeah, absolutely. The other interesting performance for me was Kante, who looked like the old Kante, what I call the disruptor. Um, I thought he had a, a great game. Um, you saw him doing those things we haven't seen really for a while. Um, the telescopic leg tackle, you know, the, the way that he's just suddenly there and he's picking the ball out and passing it on. I, I thought it was his best game for a year or so for us. I thought he played very well. And I think that's an indication of how solid the defence was behind him, that he was able to do that and he wasn't constantly fighting fires uh, and in crisis mode. I think that he was able to perform uh, a really good role. You know, people think that he's, you know, a Makaleli-type defensive midfielder where he just kind of sits. He doesn't. You know, he's much better when he's closing play down, when he's leading the press, when he's on the front foot. But he can only do that if he's got a defence behind him that... He knows he can trust to, you know, to 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 you know to fulfil their role, and he hasn't had that for a long time. And I think we talked about how solid the defence looked for the first time in a long time, um, and and it allowed Kante to get on the front foot, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, it, the the way that Frank's looking at doing this double pivot, I wonder if he'll be doing this week in week out because. I guess there are some games that Jorginho will work for and other games where it would be better to go for Kovacic. If this, this, that's kind of what I'm saying about this Palace game is that I think we're seeing the thoughts of Frank suddenly being revealed more so than ever before that this is possibly the way he... Not all the games, because as we know, he's not afraid to change things, but this is his possibly preferred lineup for a, a, a larger amount of games well you wouldn't play Jorginho or shape the, you wouldn't play Jorginho in games where the opposition are going to adapt a full-on press you know when they're going to press you really hard so they because that's not Jorginho's game Jorginho needs to play with the ball in front of him yeah um, and so if you've got teams that are going to play you on the counter and you've got enough confidence in your defence and in and in you know the midfield players to do their job, Jorginho's perfect. You know, so a team like Crystal Palace who will try and hit you on the counter, um, he's great because most of the time it's gonna be the ball's gonna be in our possession and he can impact and, and influence the game. When it's a full on press, when it's Liverpool, when it's Spurs, when it you know when it's one of these teams that want to just get at you, um, he's gonna spend a lot of his time not with the ball in front of him. And and so for me it doesn't make sense to play him in those games. And that's why I've always said he's a specific player for a specific game. That's just my view. So probably, I presume, in those kind of games you're talking about, you bring in Kovacic? I think so. I think Kovacic is busier. I think he's able to pick the ball up and run with it. I think he's he's much more uh, a tempo player and a momentum player. I also think he's probably better in the tackle uh, than Jorginho is. Uh, and in those games, what you want to do is in the press game is, is win the ball and move the ball quickly and, and, and get on the front foot quickly. That's not really Jorginho's game. No, I, I'd agree with you. Uh, and and lastly, I, I think the one person I'm slightly worried for is suddenly Mason Mount. Um, you know, I said last week he was thriving in this company um, and 
he looks the way that the team ended up in the the second half. He looks as though he may be the one who might miss out a little bit more than we thought at first. Said that last week, and you poo pooed it. I know, absolutely. I I I stand here corrected, but I do think um, he could have a, a bit of a tough season at times. I think he'll still play a lot, and he'll come a lot off the bench. But I do think that there are signs that we're, you know, he didn't even get to come on, did he, against Palace? So mm. um, I, I thought that was quite telling. Or maybe Frank just thought, I'll take him out of the firing line because I know he got a load of stick. For, didn't for, need him, really. You know, when yeah. you've scored four goals and you've got a clean sheet, you don't really need to bring a player on that, you know, that, that's going to play a lot of football this season. You know, just, just save his legs. You know, there's no reason to bring Mason Mount on when, you know, everybody's doing the job when you've got Kovacic to come on in 83 minutes and replace Kante and Pulisic to come on to give him 10 minutes or so you know at the end of the game no reason to bring Mason Mount on what, what you know you don't need goals and you don't need to really protect a four goal league so there's no reason to bring him on I wouldn't read too much into it but I do think that there is an element of where does Mason Mount fit into this midfield three um you know I, I I'm not down on him I think that he'll play an awful lot of football my point was I don't think he's nailed on for a tar- for a starting spot I think he's in competition with Kovacic you know and with with a couple of the other players as well um and that's a good thing I think that's a good thing as a young player to have that level of competition to need to prove yourself every game that can only be good for us and good for him and then I guess we should turn our attention uh for a moment to the Champions League draw uh were you happy with that? Can't argue with that, can you? Can't argue with it. I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't beat all three of those teams. I mean, Ren haven't even got a goalkeeper. So, you know, playing a team without a goalkeeper. So, it's uh, it should be pretty easy. Yeah, um, the, the only difficulty is that we have that period uh, where we play Man U away, then we're away to Krasnodar, and then we come back and we're away to Burnley. That's a yeah, and Krasnodar's a four thousand mile round trip, isn't it? It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not a little jaunt over to Ajax. It's a. It's a long old journey. No, you're right. That that's going to be a difficult one. But you know, we as you say, we've got enough players now. You know, we've got a really big squad. So you know that that's when you use it in those games, in those group stages uh, against teams two thousand miles away. You know, you you make sure that you balance everything so that we can do that I mean look at Spurs they played something like eight games in four days I mean, just four games in eight days or something ludicrous you know they managed to you know to, to, to do it very well and come out with a lot of good results it's, you know it's very possible uh, to be able to do it I mean if you look at Sevilla Krasnodar and Wren I mean they're not difficult teams I mean if we can't beat those teams we probably shouldn't be in the competition no, you're right. So it's it's all good and it's looking like we could well have a, a nice old Champions League process over the, the group stage. So yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to every Chelsea game to be honest. Don't care about anyone else, I just want to watch Chelsea. That's mm. no, and, me too, me too. And uh, now Stupid we've got international break. Yeah, although in some ways I guess it means that a lot of our players will go out and get a couple more games under their belt and not on our time. Tammy and, don't know about Tammy and Chilwell. Well, oh dear. I mean, it's, I don't know. What goes through, I mean, by the sounds of it, it was Tammy's family who arranged a, a, a surprise party. Um, you know, I mean, really, uh, what is going on? How can this be happening? It's, yeah, it's I mean, obvious. by all accounts, you're right. It was it was a surprise thing. So I, I guess you can't really hold him responsible for it. He's put in a very invidious and, and difficult situation. But I mean, for God's sakes, what goes through these players' heads? 
you know, it's not like they must have been drilled into them this idea of a bubble of you know of of, of staying fit and staying away from this disease. It drives me mad. I got I don't have a huge amount of sympathy with these players. You know, I mean, I know they're our players and and we support them. But if you're going to be that brain dead and that ignorant about it, I mean, what message does it send out to everybody else as well? You know, I'm a rich footballer, so therefore the, the, the rules don't apply to me. You know, it drives me insane. I'm, I'm very cross with them. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, my point was they didn't know and they walked well, into Joel a room. But, oh, did he? Oh, well, well, he must okay. have done, you know, because he was there. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm just talking about the family. I mean, it's really, really dumb of anyone to, to organise a surprise party when they're going off, you know, to play football. It makes no mm. sense. Really dumb. So, yeah, arrogance can spread, I guess. Um, mm. or so England play Belgium and who else? What's the other game? I've no idea. Oh, God, just <laughs> really don't even love your country. Oh, don't you start. <laughs> Who is Who it? Knows? I Belgium don't know. and Wales. Wales. Belgium and Wales, that's it. Yeah, Wales on, on Thursday, I think, in Belgium on Saturday or Sunday. But yes, I mean, I mean, look, you know, I'll watch it, as you say, as you always say, I'll watch it for 10 minutes and then I'll go and do something else because it'll be really dull. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we're back and then we, you know, then we, when we get back into it and we hopefully get a nice long run of games. Yeah. So, yeah, our first match back is uh, away, isn't it? We've, mm. got a, we've got a nasty old game there. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, it's South- No, it's not. It's at home, isn't it? It's Southampton. Home away doesn't make any difference, no. does it? And there's no home advantage with no crowd. So, um, Southampton, well, you know, they're playing well. They seem to be winning games at the moment. Um, you know, had a good win at the weekend. Uh, I, look, I'd, they're a team that we tend to do well against. Um, you know, we've we've had some good wins, some important wins against Southampton in in recent years. You know, we've been chasing titles and and trying to consolidate positions. So we play well against them, but they're a decent team and they're not to be underestimated. You know, they've got some potency up front with Danny Ings uh, scoring goals. They've got you know a reasonably solid defence. Um, they're a counter attacking side, so I think that it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting game, and we're going to be have to have to be you know fully focused on it. Yeah. Okay. Well, give us a prediction. I know it's this far out, but we're not doing a, a pod next week because there's no games to talk about. So we'll be back at the week after. So, what's your prediction for that one? Um, I, I, I'm going to say two one, two one. I think I think they may score against us, but we might have enough in the tank to to overcome. No, I'm going three nil. Another clean sheet. Good for you. Yeah. I hope so. Hurrah. All right. Okay, Andy. Well, it's been great catching up with you. Now, if people want to keep in touch with us, how can they do this? Well, they can talk to us mainly, I guess, on Twitter and Instagram. That's the best way of, uh, of talking to us. So if you, if you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, it's uh, at Chelsea Podcast. Uh, if you want to f- follow me, it's uh, at Mr. A. Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, it's uh, Kerry Levy, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. Um, on Instagram, it's at the Chelsea Podcast. Um, uh, Kerry Levy One, C E R I L E V Y One, and then uh, I am at One True Saunders. Uh, so yeah, follow us. Let us know what you think. Feedback always appreciated. Brilliant. Well, that's it. We've got to get out of here. Um, have a great well ten days or so, and I'll I'll see you in a fortnight um, before care, after our next game. All right, everybody, take care. See you soon. Wasn't that a great podcast? 
Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.